Lord God, we commit this time to you. Would you speak to us? Would these be your words? Would you change us? God, we take a moment right now and we pray for the war that's going on in Ukraine. We ask God you would bring an end to this war. We ask God that you would be with our brothers and sisters who are sheltering in place and those whose lives are in danger and those who are defending their homeland. Those who are attacking a homeland, not of their own desire, but because they're being forced to. We ask God that you would bring an end to it and that you would bring peace. Be with us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're in Ukraine. A bus has just pulled up into your town and is going to take away women and children to hopefully a place of safety. You're about to separate from your loved ones. You're about to stay behind and defend your country at odds of 10 to 1, and you'll probably die in the process. This will probably be the last time you see your family on this side of glory. What would be your last words to them? Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the last words of Jesus. The last dinner he was having with his disciples before he was to be executed on a Roman cross. These are some of the words that he had to say at that time. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I in them and you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What were Jesus' last words? Basically, I love you. Love each other and stick together. What would be my last words to my family if uh, we were separating in Ukraine? I love you. Love each other and stick together. But you see, Satan has as his goal to convince us that God doesn't really love us. He has it as his goal to get us to hate each other. He has it as his goal to break us apart. I want to give you an example from across the world. See, Caroline and I, we both came to know the Lord through the youth ministry of this church years ago. We were married here, and we were commissioned as a family to go and be missionaries on the other side of the world in Papua, Indonesia, since 2007. And that's where we've been privileged to minister among a tribe called the Bayono tribe, 400 people stretched across 400 square miles of dense remote jungle, very far from the rest of civilization. One of the places that uh, our colleague Benny and I uh, have frequented are, is this church that you see in the background uh, in a town called Dekai. This is the closest supply town to Bayono village. It's four days hike away or two days by canoe. And in Dekai, 
This is the closest uh, church congregation that the Bayono people that we minister among can go to uh, to connect with other Christians from other tribes. It's called Greja Efanastia. On a morning much like this, although much more hot and humid, the people at Greja Efanastia gathered together to worship the Lord. Most of them were from a tribe called the Yali tribe. And our colleague, Benny, who works with us in ministry, he's from the Yali tribe, and he was there. This was uh, five months ago on October 13th, 2021. At the end of the worship service, as people were beginning to leave, the windows on the sides of the church started to shatter as rocks were thrown through. And after rocks came arrows, and people came streaming in the doors on the right hand and the left hand side with machetes and with bows and arrows and started attacking the congregation. This was another tribe called the Kimyal tribe. And they were enraged by the untimely death of a political leader the day before, and they were taking out their rage on the Yali people. About 50 attackers came into a church about this size of 200 or 300 people inside. Seven people were killed and dozens were injured. Do you have any idea what happens in Papua after something like this? Do you have any idea what has happened for thousands of years in Papua after something like this? Tribal war, revenge killings, the burning of huts and houses and buildings, wholesale slaughter but not this time. You see what happened this time is the Yali people went to their knees and cried out to God in sorrow over what had happened. They did not retaliate. They did not fight back. They did not respond in kind to the Kimyal people. This here is a congregation you see two months later in, in December of last year, the Kimyal people and the Yali people gathered together for a public ceremony of repentance on the side of the Kimyals, asking for forgiveness and of the offering of forgiveness by the Yali people. It's hard to see in this picture because it was sent to me from a friend through WhatsApp um, who was there. These people are uh, Yalis and Kimyal believers holding hands and uh, unified together under the Lord. Here we see a representative from the Kimyal tribe and a representative from the Yali tribe signing public declarations of repentance on one side and of forgiveness on the other. This is the power of the gospel in the lives of people, breaking thousands of years of cycles of tribal warfare and revenge. And that is powerful. And not only that, but you see, present that day were government and police figures, as I have circled here on the picture. And it reminded me that when Jesus said, love each other and stick together, he said, this is what will happen. The world will see and they will believe. And so the military, the police, the government, people from the outside were aware of what was happening. They knew what happened. They knew what to expect next. And they could not believe that through the power of Jesus Christ, these believers would actually come together in forgiveness and unity. 
and it is a testimony of the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I love you. Love each other and stick together. All churches have challenges, and that's an extreme example. All churches have problems. No church is perfect. But how we handle those problems has a huge impact on us, on our children, and on the world around us. Here at Grace Church Waldorf, we're going through a challenging season. The church leaders here have taken some time to prayerfully consider some concerns of the congregation. I'm not familiar with many of the specifics, and the elders haven't told me what's going to be announced at the meeting after this. But regardless, Jesus is saying, I love you. Love each other and stick together. Amen. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture where the early church encountered problems. And the first one that I want to look at with you is Acts 6, 1 through 7. I want you to turn there in your Bible or your device. I, don't, I won't have it on the screen. And we're going to see what happened when church members came to church leaders in the early church bringing a complaint about mismanagement. And let's see what happened. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neg neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the church leaders were responsive to this complaint that came before them. What happened is you had widows among this congregation who didn't have any other way of sustenance, and so the church took up offerings and on a daily basis would distribute food or money to help out these widows. Well, you had different ethnicities among the, that group, and you had the widows that were uh, Jewish ethnicity, and then you had others that were Greek ethnicity or various different ethnicities underneath the, the Roman Empire. And, there were, and some of them were getting the food distribution and some of them weren't, and they were having troubles, and so the complaint came to the church leaders. The church leaders were responsive to this uh, concern, which was a valid one. Unity was preserved, and the congregation worked together to address this valid concern. The, the church continued to have a dynamic impact on the world around them as a result. So I ask you, what do you do when you have a complaint about the church? Because the temptation is, like for me, is I talk with my wife about it first. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then it comes up again, maybe at a meal, and then my kids all hear about it. So then they start to get sour, maybe, towards the church. 
And then when I talk to my friend, maybe a friend or two about that same issue, and then when they go to um, a prayer meeting and they talk with some people at prayer meeting about the issue, and then maybe they go to a ministry team meeting and they talk with them about the issue, and that becomes gossip. And that becomes divisive. If they're not part of the problem and they're not part of the solution, they don't need to know about it. Otherwise, it becomes gossip and can be very destructive. That's the temptation. That's, that's what I think a lot of us tend to do, partly because we're conflict averse. So we'd rather not go directly to the leadership and have a conflict about even healthy conflict. We're sort of, you know, um, scared of that. But scripture says, we look at Colossians 3, it talks about bearing with one another, whatever complaint you have towards one another. It says, be humble, to be gentle, to value peace and to value unity. 2 Timothy 3 says, beware of being irreconcilable. Irreconcilable means it doesn't matter what that person does to say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to change. We say, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with you. That's irreconcilable. I'm unwilling to reconcile. Let's beware of that kind of spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 3 says, beware of being unforgiving. It's hard to forgive when you've been hurt. But we've been forgiven everything by our Savior. It says to beware of being arrogant, to be, uh, of being malicious gossips, of being vicious. These are things that in our flesh we sort of tend towards. But remember the example of the early church and how they handled this complaint. And remember Jesus' words, I love you. Love each other and stick together. Secondly, we're going to look at Galatians 2, 11 through, 20, uh, through 21. If you would turn there with me. This is our second of three examples of what happened in the early church when they faced problems. Galatians 2.11. This is Paul writing. He's talking about something that happened between him and Peter. He uses the name Cephas. That's the Aramaic form of Peter's name. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And I'll skip down to 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, or Christ died for nothing. So here's what happened uh, there in Antioch. Basically, you've got Peter who's visiting a congregation of new believers. And these new believers don't come from a Jewish background. They come from a non-Jewish background. And Peter knows that the gospel says that it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You can 
come to Christ and by faith you can be saved. And that the whole, all of the, the ceremonial laws and the, the requirements of the Mosaic law, circumcision and all the dietary requirements, all that kind of stuff had been fulfilled by Christ. And so when a person came to know the Lord, they didn't need to also become Jewish in their ethnicity and in following the Mosaic law. It had already been fulfilled. It was not for them. But then some people came from Jerusalem who were Jewish Christians and, and Peter was a Jewish Christian and he felt pressured by them because some of them were saying, no, you still got to follow the Mosaic law and all those old requirements. And Peter was torn. And so apparently at first he was, you know, he was fine with being around those who were non-Jews, Christians, non-Jewish Christians. And he was fine with, you know, eating bacon and whatever else, you know, they were doing. But then when these, when the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem came, he started to feel like, oh man, these guys are going to look down on me. They're going to, I know that they don't agree with that. So he started separating himself. And Paul showed up and said, oh man, this is confusing people about the gospel because you're not saved through following the Mosaic law. And you don't even have to follow that just uh, as part of your daily life as a Christian. And you're, you're causing confusion, not by your words, Peter, but by your actions. It's false teaching. And so Peter was corrected. The gospel was affirmed and they both continued to minister together afterward. Peter later calls Paul our beloved brother and even affirms Paul's writings as inspired scripture from God in 2 Peter chapter 3. You see, church leaders sin. They're not infallible. Whether they sin is not a question. They will. But the question is, how do we handle it and how are they going to handle it as a leader? Part of love is holding each other accountable for each other's sake and for the sake of God's people we call the church. God tells us to hold leaders accountable when they sin and to seek repentance and reconciliation. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 5, 19. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, uh, to you real quickly. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. This is what Paul did with Peter. He called him out as he needed to. But God tells us in times like this, which are difficult, times like what Paul and Peter were experiencing, that we need to be humble, that we need to be gentle, that we need to be truthful, that we need to be fair, that we don't gossip, that we don't be divisive, and that we always act in love. That's 1 Timothy 5, Matthew 18, Galatians 6, 2 Timothy 2. Jesus said, I love you. Love each other and stick together. But what about when it doesn't go so well like it did with Paul and Peter? There are times when a church leader has sinned in such a way that he no longer fulfills the biblical requirements for an elder in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 5. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5. And therefore he must step down from his position temporarily or permanently. It does not mean he is being shunned or hated on, and it's to be done with humility and Christian love, desiring repentance and restoration if possible. 
There are also times like in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas parted ways, not over a sin issue, but they realized they had differing convictions over a ministry issue and it just wasn't compatible. But they continued to regard each other with love as ministry partners in the kingdom of God. I love you. Love each other and stick together. And what about when it's me or you that's in sin? Did you know that 2 Timothy 4.2 says it's your pastor's job and your elder's job to correct you when you're in error? I don't really like that so much. It's uncomfortable. But Proverbs says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12.1. Part of love is gently, humbly correcting each other. If I'm heading toward a cliff, I need someone to shout at me and say, don't go that way. Well, I don't really like the tone you used with me right there. Who do you think I am anyway? And God says, Matthew Thomas Edlin, who are you kidding anyway? Have you forgotten that your life is a story of my unmerited grace? Have you forgotten that you swim in an ocean of my unconditional love? Maybe what that person is saying to you is something you need to hear. And maybe I'm going to use that to try to make you more like Jesus. I love you. Love each other. And stick together. And if, my, if I've mistreated one of our leaders, I need to go to them and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I was wrong. I hope you can forgive me. I love you. Love each other and stick together. And lastly, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 5.12 with you. If you return there. Because the third problem that we saw in the early church was that they needed to be reminded to encourage their leaders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You see, the early church needed to be reminded to thank their leaders, to honor them, and to encourage them. God says that we should be thankful for our leaders who are over us, who pray for us and tirelessly serve us in many ways. God says we should recognize and honor them for their faithfulness, 1 Timothy 5. Whatever happens in the meeting today after church, I want you to walk away with one concrete action point this week. Reach out to these guys and thank them for their ministry. They're brothers in the Lord who've been under a lot of stress and probably need a lot of encouragement right now. Send them cards. Give them a gift card to your favorite restaurant. Have them over for dinner. Love on them well. I love you. Love each other and stick together. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the example of Jesus as he reminded us of your love, as he reminded us how important it is that we love well on each other. 
and that we stick together. We thank you, God, for your testimony of power and love in the lives of the Yali Christians and the Kimyal Christians in Papua. What power? You've broken the chains of thousands of years of tribal warfare, despite Satan's attempts to cause it to come back all over again. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, for the example of the early church, that when complaints of mismanagement arose, the leaders were responsive and worked together with the congregation, and there was a good result, and the gospel continued to spread. May it be like that here, Lord. We thank you for the example of Paul and Peter when this uncomfortable confrontation had to happen towards Peter, but he humbly accepted it. He repented. The gospel was preserved and sound teaching was preserved. Let it be like that here, Lord. We thank you for this reminder this morning that that we need to honor and respect and bless and encourage the leaders who are over us. God, we pray for Jack. We pray for Bruno, for George, for James, for Dennis. God, would you give them great encouragement, great strength. We often bring our complaints to them and we don't bring the, the praises and the, and the thanks and, the, and the, that was a great job. We, we often forget that part and they bear the load of it. God, strengthen them, encourage them, use us. Use us to be an encouragement to them this week that they would be overwhelmed by the love that they feel from us. Thank you for your words, Lord. Thank you for the substance of your love that you love us, that we would love each other, and that we would stick together. In Jesus' name, amen.